0: Welcome in, everyone. It's the Sunday recap. My name is Chris McLaughlin. What's (laughs) up, dude? This is Mitch Green. And over here is Ariel Eldridge. How's it going, you guys?
1: Hey. We're back. I was thinking, what if we did like R&B radio (laughs) intro instead? Like, yo, 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 this your boy, Mitch, (laughs) here with Chris. (laughs) Got Ariel on the line dialing in today.
2: I, I can give might. you several reasons why we don't. This do that. is <laughs> we, we might
1: lose our audience. Guys. This is hot R and B, Stones Crossing Sunday recap. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, that was man. more. Yeah, I mean, this, I guess it fits. I don't even know. I don't <laughs> listen to the radio to know what the radio sounds like anymore.
0: Man,
2: do you yeah. ever just want to have like a smooth, like evening kind of voice? You know, just ease into it, <laughs> like. <laughs>
0: Uh, the only like thing Delilah I can th-
2: or whatever her name is. The only on thing the, I can think of is
0: okay, so uh, I, I know Ariel, you've watched Psych. Mitch, I know that you've kind of started I to started watch Psych. it. I paused. There's but. a TV show called Psych, and there's this episode where Gus goes on a radio show and he has this Oh yeah. Uh this smooth that's the only thing I'm thinking of right now where he gets on the show and he he's like I don't know, like he he, he has this voice, he's like Oh yeah welcome to the Gus (laughs) show you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm like uh that's not what i'm going for (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, probably because we always record in the morning and you guys are super super fun in the morning
0: yes well i mean mitch is i mean
1: my life's changed that's the only reason why
0: (laughs) i mean mornings
1: were not exactly my prime time yeah but here recently, I mean, what, when you've been up since you got 5.30, 6 o'clock yeah. every day? This is know? mid-afternoon. Yeah, this you. is midday. <laughs> We're ready for a nap and yeah. lunch at this point. Kids yeah.
2: do that for you. They flip your whole life, don't That's they? Right.
1: That's oh, right. Oh, and he's like retraining himself right now. So what happens right now is like he wakes up at five thirty six 6 o'clock, and he wants to be up and ready to go. Yeah. And then about the time you're trying to get out the door around 8, he wants to take a nap. And you're like, no, dude, mm-hmm. like that's, that's not how this works. Like totally. you got to go, you got to go play.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Yep. Got to get him in the routine. I know. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Uh, Ariel, how are, how are you guys and your family? You guys doing well?
2: You know, we're all sick. <laughs> <laughs> we have had um, a crazy 2022 already, but yeah. um, God is good. And all three of my boys are in school today, so that is a plus.
0: Hey, all right. And uh,
2: I just have lingering rasp to go yeah. along with our smooth radio. So
0: <laughs> With the smooth <laughs> radio voice. <laughs> well, no, it's,
1: it's good that. to be here with you digitally, you Yeah. know?
2: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I would love to be in studio with you guys. I've missed you. We have definitely um, missed some time together. Um, but how are you guys all doing? How are your families?
0: Uh, good. Yeah. We, we've been busy with all of the, like all the, the, the teenager kids stuff. So we've got one that's doing cheerleading and one that is, she's uh, finishing up all of her driver training right now. So she's going to be getting her license in the next couple of weeks. We're like getting ready for that. Wow. That's crazy. Um, this, and she's getting ready for college as well. So like, we've got a lot going on there and so it's shuttling kids around and yeah. making sure that they do their homework so
2: <laughs> nice yeah. nice
1: dude we're doing good we got a lot going on kids moving kid kids all over the place yeah literally today while i was taking a shower he crawled into the shower
0: <laughs> so his clothes got soaked
1: yeah so like i mean it's, he it's is, a good time yeah it's got like a little like you know foot like thing for him to crawl in like it's not super tall but he crawled over it into the shower yeah yeah crazy um yeah he's all over the place but we're doing good busy you know in the swing of the things with the year yeah but yeah ready for winter to be over we had our good little bit of (laughs) snow last week and now we're good we're ready for spring i know bring it on
2: I mean, when Graham, I saw your picture of Graham in his little fuzzy, mm-hmm. like, one-piece snowsuit, and you guys laid him in the snow or whatever, yeah. sat him in the snow, and I was like, oh, man, there is nothing sweeter than a an infant in a fuzzy, like... I don't yeah. know, that Sherpa sheepy outfit. And then they'll put ears on the head, yeah. like hood and stuff. That might oh my be gosh.
1: the most like stereotypical social media post that I've ever made <laughs> where there's like what you show the world and what really happened.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: You know, so like you see this, you know, he's sitting there all kind of cute. She's holding them. You got your portrait mode going on. The reality of that moment was like we let him crawl. And I'm pretty sh- sure it's the closest thing I'll do into that child's life to like waterboarding him. Cause he, cause he like, he starts crawling in the snow and he, it's just like all in his face. Yeah. He hated it. He started flopping around and like, it was only like good 10 seconds, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure. Like yeah. it was as if I just waterboarded my child Duh. by letting him crawl You in traumatized the snow him for, life. for 10 minutes. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so, crazy. It was awful. That's so yeah, crazy. that's what really happened was he flipped over right after that photo and was so upset Yeah. because he was cold. And he couldn't breathe because his face was literally, I mean, the snow was 13 inches high. That's above him when he's crawling.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I would say uh, I made that same face when I was inside and it was just snowing. I was like, yeah, no, thank you. It's okay. Hey guys today we are gonna jump into um, just talking about uh, Scott's message from this week that uh, where he he really talked about uh, the truth about sexuality and gender um, and we're gonna we're gonna talk through a couple things with this um, this this week part of what we, I think what we want to do here is let's look a little bit into the theology behind it uh, I want to look at a couple of the passages that Scott brought up and why those are so relevant and so important. Um, but then also, on the back end, let's talk through a little bit about why um, why it's important that the church know about this and and what should be the church's response. Right? so we're gonna we're gonna dig into both of those things. Um, for those of you that are listening, you, you guys, like this is, I think, really our response to this is the key. Um, because we can have truth all day long, right? Um, but if we are not responding in grace and love, to Mm -hmm. people, um, and coming from a place of really understanding not only, not only the brokenness that's going on in the world, but our own brokenness, um, that if we're not doing that, um, then we're missing it. We're missing the mark with all this stuff. So I think, um, Mm -hmm. as we talk about this, I want to keep those things in the back of our mind and recognizing that, um, and we said this on the podcast before, but we're not pointing fingers at those who are, um, who, you know, whose sexuality might be broken, Okay. Mm-hmm. But what we're saying is is all of our sexuality is broken in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Okay? And and in light of that, um looking at the different ways that our sexuality is broken, that we actually have this common bond in in sin, <laughs> you know, that we all um are in need of the gospel. We're all in need of grace, and so let's approach let's approach things in, yeah. in that in that way. Um
1: Spot on brother. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Well, that's let-
2: good. I imagine you could end it right there. Done. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, and I think too, I think I think it's important as we as we launch into this conversation. You know, you, you gave the imagery of, you know, we're not just trying to point fingers at people and say they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I think it's important too, when you even say that, there's an image that pops in your mind and it's like, what are you pointing at? Mm-hmm. And recognize that, like this, is a people issue. <laughs> like we're talking yeah. about people, mm-hmm. um, image bearers created yeah. by God, created and loved by, by God. God. Yeah. And so we we need to kind of make sure we're having this conversation in that way. Um, I think for many people that maybe they don't know someone that's uh, struggling with their sexuality or their gender, um, you're just pointing fingers at some theoretical idea in the clouds and. That's not really doing anything for anybody. Mm -hmm. So recognize Mm -hmm. that we're talking about how to relate to people um, because it's a people issue first and foremost. It's not just um, some kind of idea we're trying to wrap our heads around.
0: Well, let's start in Genesis chapter one. Uh, This is the passage that Scott launched into at the, at the beginning, but I think it's good that we might um, start here and look at it uh, a little bit more in the context. Um, So Genesis chapter one, starting at verse 26 just to set this up, this is um, picking up in the middle of day six of creation, right? Um, so so day six is where God, he creates the, the animals um, uh, that are on the land, right? So this is starting in verse 24. Um, livestock, creeping things, beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Um, he saw that it was good. And then we get to verse 26. Um, and what I'd like to do here, can we... Can we read all the way to 31 so we get that whole picture of how day six
1: ends up? Yeah, I'll read for us. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day.
0: Just a couple things to jump jump off here. So Scott, I think, did a did a great job of of laying out just a couple key things that where where the trend in our culture is that, is that they're saying gender is a social construct. Here we have a very clear passage that is the antithesis of this, right? Where it says that male and female, he, God created them. Right. So it's not a social construct. It is a, uh, intentional design, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Right. So, Mm -hmm i I think we have that um one of the one of the interesting things that um Scott brought up is this idea of how gender is an outworking of God's very nature, even his Trinitarian nature. I was wondering what you guys thought of that
2: you know I think that's really um interesting It's something that I don't think that um, we as Christians think about too often because just of the male gendered um, pronouns we use for God in the scripture mm-hmm. um but there are so many places in Scripture where God h- describes Himself as having, you know, feminine qualities or um, being almost like a mother. I guess is where we've seen that language, um, and then describes Himself as Ezer, which is uh, also the word used for Eve. And so, um, it's really interesting that that God does still. Um, allow himself to be represented in scripture in ways that we would consider feminine mm-hmm. um, through his, through his word.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because the language even here in Genesis does point to a, I mean, I don't think we can say Trinity here because we, I don't think we see that, but I think what we do see is a plurality, right? There's when, you know, verse 26 is, you know, let us Make man in our image after our likeness, and 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 so there's, and then you get down to verse 27, and it's like, So God created man in his singular own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So you have this plurality and singularity, yeah, all combined into one, and and so there's, there is something unusual than about the, the nature of God that's explained right from Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of the Bible, which is interesting. But then it, it says that out of that, you know, when he says like, let us make man in our image, um, and then he creates them male and female. I think at the very least, what we can say is part of, part of the image of God is this plurality uh, that, that's going on, you know, um, and that uh, plurality in unity Right. Uh, mm-hmm. or, or unity and plurality. I don't know which, which way to, to quite say it, but, but that both are, are happening there. And so this male and female, he created them. Um, I think it makes sense, uh, to look at that as a outworking and expression of, of that nature of God in some way. Um, I don't, I, I don't know exactly how far to take that though. I mean, because it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a little, it's not super clear, but, mm-hmm. but there's, there's, um, I would say there's something at work there that is interesting.
1: Yeah, I think the I think the question is um, what who is the who is the us in there is what you're sure. saying the singular the singular God is clear mm-hmm. the Elohim the, it's it's the what is the us
0: when it's described. So there. there's an interpretation of that where they they see that as a um, like a divine council. Um, yeah, it, things like that, and then other people see that as the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead. Yeah, I mean, I other. mean, and then there's also kind
1: of the like uh, kingdom magister
0: is that how they say it model, which is the
1: like it's just kingdom talk. Okay, so yeah. there's there's yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interpreted multiple ways. The it's, royal we, yeah, like the royal we, <laughs> like like. <laughs> We declare this to be our land. And yeah. it's like, okay, who's really doing that? You are yeah. like the one guy. So, you know, the Let people
0: us make man in, yeah.
1: Yeah. But but <laughs> okay. but when you get into the hour and the image, it's yeah, it's so there's there's a there's an interesting, you know, some people when you say divine counsel, you know, some people say, Okay, is it God and the angels? God is and the it angels God or is it?
0: Other but, divine beings. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it's just interesting. Yeah,
0: I mean, I'm I'm probably of the mind that that this is just because the context doesn't give us any other picture of any of any other divine beings or things like that. I, I, I tend to interpret this um, as being a plurality within the Godhead. That's me personally, but I, I, not everyone agrees with that. So. I do too. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I'm just saying that there are other, there are other interpretations that I'm actually even, I'm open to, Yeah, yeah. but I do think it's a reference to, to the Godhead. Um, mm-hmm. primarily because if it was other angelic beings, one, they're not exactly like God and we're not purely spiritual beings. And he goes into that whole breakdown mm-hmm. of what's mm-hmm. spiritual, what's animal, and then what's human. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, I was also going to
2: chime in and say that if we think about um, Colossians Mm -hmm. and where Paul's talking about how um, everything was created through Christ and Mm -hmm. for Christ and by Christ, um, then there's an inclusion of Christ in this creation story. And so Uh that does make me kind of think of the the Trinity being represented there in in perfect
1: unity. Yeah, let's interpret
0: Scripture with Scripture. Throw the hammer down. Rather than just... (laughs) <laughs> Our ideas, I like yeah, it. That's that, good. Yeah, it does yeah that adds to it for sure. Now,
2: although you know what you're talking about, divine counsel—that is something. Just side note that it would be interesting to kind of like dig into later, but I haven't either. I I hear you on that. It's. Mm-hmm not something I've pursued a lot. Yeah,
1: I don't think it, that's what it is in this case, but I do think that is an interesting uh, thread throughout the Old Testament. <laughs> like, so yeah, yeah. in mm-hmm. this one, I go, I don't think that's what that is. So we don't need to spend time on it. But I think it's an interesting thing to explore mm-hmm. as you move throughout, mm-hmm. you know, the rest of Genesis.
0: Yeah. Right after this, uh, and Scott brought this up too, that, you know, he talked about this idea that God gave them some commands uh, to right off the bat. One is to be fruitful and multiply. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a a command for uh for in this I mean one one outworking of this is is clearly having children uh filling the earth mm-hmm. with children and subduing it. What are some other maybe outworkings of this command that um or other ways that we can maybe interpret this command?
2: Oh man, we could go all day on this because I think that, um, there's all kinds of biblical theology that we can see throughout the scriptures that reflect this over and over because, you know, the obvious one we could go to is the, um, the great commission Mm -hmm. of going and making disciples, um, in all the earth. But, um, it does seem like God is giving this cultural mandate from the beginning for it to spread. Like the intention is that it's supposed to spread his regency, I guess, throughout the whole creation. And, um... And so, it, it seems like it's probably even more than just physically reproducing, um, although that was needed in the beginning, right? For sure. Yeah. Um, but but it, it seems to have more of like a, a commissioning by God to go and um, act on his behalf. Yeah. What do you guys think?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, certainly there's a need there. And ultimately, it's for the glory of God, right? Yeah. Like that that his kingdom would spread over all the earth. Um, and I think this is a, this is a fascinating thing because you, you start looking at this through, um, actually most of the Bible, but especially the Pentateuch, there's this theme of, of that, uh, like, like what Brian O'Malley talked about last week, uh, that when he was t- teaching through Exodus, one of the biggest themes that came out of that was that the people, uh, the, the reason why God was doing what he was doing is so that the people of the earth would know that he is God. Right. And so there's, yeah. so, so the ultimate purpose for what God is doing here, um, you know, it, it's not really for us. It's for his glory. Right. And it, and he's right mm-hmm. to do that. He's right to, because he's the only one that's worthy of that worship.
2: Yeah. I think it's definitely an area where we can be really tender because we know that people can still carry out um, the cultural mandate without having children. Um, so I think that that's, that's certainly when it comes to application of like individuals, it gets it gets um, to a point where we can understand that you know result of the fall definitely um, hinders the ability to do it mm-hmm. um, in a way that fully um, fully reflects the the original plan, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we can see that in, in multiple areas. Either people can't have children, or they've decided not to for a reason, mm-hmm. financial or just because. Um, I mean, we could talk about that for a while, but, but yeah, that's just a few extra thoughts in there. I wanted to make sure that we were tender with.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, I think too, it's important to think about the purpose, um, behind this mandate. Um, is it, is it explicitly attached to, um, as created image bearers, you multiply, You know, like, is that, is that like, is that, is it attached to that? Or is it attached to the idea that God is giving you all the earth to rule and subdue out of your image? And to do that, it takes multiplication. It takes spreading across the earth. Right. The other alternative Mm -hmm. I would present into this is um, the New Testament church in some sense is seen as a um, new family, and there's adoption into the family of Christ. And yep. so Old Testament God's growing his nation through his people. Um, mm-hmm. and that happens uh, through birth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are people who are who who are adopted in. We see that. Absolutely. But like yeah. but but most of the time people are born into the nation. Yeah. In the New Testament, people are um, adopted into the family of God that are outside. Of the uh, family unit, and so yeah. there's an interesting parallel there too, where it's like you can carry out this um, this multiplying um, through um, adopting people into the family of God. That I th- that I think there's a parallel there that's interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I, I guess I would just say and I have one more thought. Just just by way of nuance, I think you just see in the New Testament a greater emphasis on the inclusion of the Gentiles than you do Mm. in the Old Testament, even though it's still there in the Old Testament. Um, People like uh, Ruth or um, uh, Mm -hmm. Rahab or or, um, even when you look at Genesis 17 and the the Mm. servants that Abraham had were not his offspring and were included into the covenant. But uh, in in the New Testament, you do see still... This this heritage, this line that's happening within the church as well, but there's a greater emphasis on, on the expansion of the gospel through uh, the inclusion of the Gentiles. And I
1: think I'm I think I'm even more expressing the uh, language used within the New Testament, mm-hmm. um, the yeah. language of adoption, family, sons, daughters, yeah. heirs. Um, it, there's a there's a there's a there's a God is um, not the New, the New Testament authors are using the language of their day given to them by God, you know, right. um, and they're using family language to describe what God's doing. Right. And I think that's somewhat intentional. The other thing I was going to add, um, yeah, I'm reading, I'm really digging into First Timothy right now. Um, and I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, the passage that everybody talks about with women exercising authority over men, I'm not getting into that, but the last verse <laughs> um, of that section, um, it, it says... Uh, It talks about childbearing for women, and it talks about, it's kind of this like, oh, by the way, Christ came through childbirth. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about um, kind of like the cultural mandate of reproducing and multiplying, I think also in God's sovereignty, um, there's, there's an element of this that like through multiplying and childbirth, the line of Christ was formed. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole, like, that's kind of a side note. I wouldn't like dig into that a ton, mm-hmm. but it's like God was up to something from the beginning mm-hmm. that through the curse that was given, uh, child childbearing, while childbearing existed, it, it presented to the line of Christ through oh, it. So absolutely. without
0: multiplication, and if God so just had just two people example, hanging out in the garden, <laughs> you, yeah, know, yeah. you don't have Christ. <laughs> Genesis 3.15, right? The seed of the woman will come mm-hmm. and crush the head of absolutely, the serpent. Yeah. So yeah, you have this childbearing becomes the... Uh, the means by which we get to you, the Messiah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, so no multiplication and thus would have meant that there wouldn't have, that, that Christ wasn't a part of the plan right. for redemption for the world. Right, right. So, mm-hmm. it's got a lot I mean there's a lot in this multiplication that's more than just like have as many kids as you can cuz right, God said right. so. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good.
2: Yeah, and I would even I mean, I don't know if you guys would say this, but a lot of what we see in the Old Testament is in the progressive revelation of what God is doing. Um, he's using those as types of shadow types and shadows of the, the, the greater fulfillment that we see when Christ arrives on the scene. And so um, it makes me think that that cultural mandate from the beginning had a focus and, and I won't say an end, but a, a focus, I guess, a, a telos in Christ and the great commission and, and spreading the kingdom throughout of mm-hmm. creation, which will fully be spread to the ends of the earth upon His return.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's all ultimately all for the, the 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 spread of the glory and fame of Christ, right?
2: Right, yeah. right. To yeah. make His name great, yes, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, with that being said, um, you know, I, I think we can see from this passage how how antithetical the whole concept that gender is a social construct mm-hmm. is to the word of god and we can go into other passages scott brought up some great passages about this matthew 19 where jesus affirms a creation account i really like 1 corinthians 11 as well verses 11 and 12 where he talked about how both genders are from god and then but then ultimately that both genders are are actually interdependent on one another um, right mm-hmm. and and so um, i think that's a wonderful uh, passage to go to when we think about the theology of gender and 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 things like that. That um, can one gender claim any sort of special status before God uh, above above another? And the answer is no. Like like we are uh, as male and female, we are both um, dearly loved and equal in value and dignity uh, in the eyes of God, bearing the image of God. Um, so so there's. Anyway, there, there's there's no difference there for sure. So, really important passages on this topic. Let's go ahead and get into some of the application of this because, um, you know, clearly in our culture there are men and women who are who are wrestling with these questions and dealing with um, their own identity when it comes to sexuality. And with that being said. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we said at the beginning, we, when we approach people with this, we want to approach them with truth, but we want to do so also with grace and love. So as a Christian who is in the church, how should we approach a conversation with someone who is maybe really steeped in the culture, um, and wrestling with this in their own life? Um, what's the best way to even begin a conversation about that?
2: for my own personality and my own thoughts on just having conversations first, I would say with non-believers is that I have to, um, stop being shocked by other people's sin. Cause I think that, um, there's something in all of us that once we, um, receive Christ and we start down this path of, of sanctification, we just may, we struggle with the sin of, um, comparison, I guess. And, um, I just think about how um, humility can really break that barrier down. If I'm approaching a conversation with someone who is not a believer, I need to understand first of all that they are not under um, the same um, same heart. They don't even have the same the same um, heart that I have to to act upon God's, wa- on, on God's law. It's That's not right. written on them, you know, and so. Um, just that gentility, I guess, of, uh, understanding that they are, um, not this crazy, uh, faux pas, like anomaly that they are broken. And in fact, actually I should look at it the other way that I am just as disgusting and broken in my sin. And so, um, just realizing that if, Someone were to confess to me that they are struggling with sin, like same-sex attraction or gender gender identity, that um, my first reaction should not be shock. You know, yeah, it should be, it should be sadness because this is what the fall has done to humanity, or what we have done to ourselves. Um, but it should be so much compassion, out mm-hmm. of reali- realization that man, I am every bit is broken, and. Yeah. Um, and as a recipient of grace it's it's an honor to just extend it and offer it um to even get to be an agent of it yeah um, and join join Christ in his work
0: I would totally agree and and I would go back to first Corinthians five twelve which says um you know Paul is talking about um he's talk he's talking a little bit about church discipline stuff in this in this chapter but this, th- what he says is so good. He says, What have I to do with judging outsiders?
2: Mm-hmm. Is it
0: not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Mm-hmm. God judges those outside, right? So, so and, it, and, and I think that's a great perspective to have. Like, you know, uh, if, if we have conversations with people who are outside the church, who are not believers, um, it's not our job to be the Holy Spirit. And to convict right. them of their sin. Right. I had a conversation with a guy, um, recently who, um, so he's, he's homosexual, um, um, has, has a boyfriend and, and he was afraid. Like when, when we set up this little coffee meeting, he was like, are you just going to like sit here and tell me oh, I shouldn't be gay? I'm like, no, I told him like, I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is I want to tell you about Christ. I want to tell you about the gospel Um, and so we, we talked about Jesus and we talked about the Bible and he had a lot of questions about the Bible. And, and so we just talked about that stuff, but it's not my job to convict him of his sin, you know? So, so
1: no, I just, you reminded me, you're talking about how do we handle this, um, Within the context of the church, and and I went to this training a few years back, and statistics change. This training was in twenty nineteen, and as our world gets more and more secular, there's going to be less people within the church. So lots happened since twenty nineteen. Yeah, I want to say that, <laughs> but I also um, I want to present these st- statistics from the time. Um, these are from the Center for Faith and Sexuality and Gender. Uh, that kind of I think rework some of our thoughts on this, and you and you did a beautiful job explaining you know, your conversation with this guy and what your focus was, which was sharing the gospel with him. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the time, the statistics that they found in surveying people were that 83% of the LGBTQ people that they um, sent surveys to were found to have been raised within the church. Mm. 83% of them. Now listen to the reasons that they left the church. Okay. The reasons that they left the church, 18% said they do not feel safe within the church. Um, 14% said relational disconnect with leader. 13% said incongruence between teaching and practice. 12% said unwillingness to dialogue and 9% of them were kicked out of the people that they surveyed wow. that were, that grew up in the church. Wow. Now this is what's crazy. This is the things that they said, uh, the church would need to, to change for them to stay. Mm-hmm. 12% said they would have needed to feel loved. 10, per, 9% said they would have been needed to be given time. said no attempt to change their sexual orientation. Only 6% said that that is primarily what would have needed to change for them. Hmm. Then 5% said more authenticity. 4% said support of family and friends. At the end of this survey, the conclusion that was given was it's not the church's theology that drives people away. Um, from their the own omission of the people that they're surveying, mm-hmm. it's the church's lack of love and care and their posture towards the conversation. Mm, yeah, um, mm. Which I think is a lot of what... I thought Scott did a beautiful job ending this message where he talked about um, that we're going to see more and more of these people mm-hmm. and we need to be able to represent grace and love for them and create a space where they can navigate these things right. that are going on. Um, and if we can't do that... Um, then they're gonna just merely not see us as a voice that's worth listening to. Yeah. Um, and so I just think it's interesting. It's not. It's not as much that um, they know the biblical stance. It's how are you going to help point them towards Christ um, and walk alongside them in their sin, as we should with every other believer. You know <laughs> that comes into the church.
2: That's so right, yeah. you know it probably comes down to the fact that we really don't walk with each other in our sin very well to begin with, mm, as as, um, as believers. So as believers, yeah, yeah. it's even um, you know it, it it's it's not a culture of confession um, easily. Mm-hmm. Like you, somehow you have to have people go first and start that, um, and then you know. I think that we just give this elevated status to sexual sin, uh, especially you know homosexual sin or same sex, um, or I should say transgenderism. We kind of mm-hmm. give it this like um, this this pedestal of this is the worst sin, and um, and don't realize just how much um, sin is pervasive in the church, mm-hmm. and and we and we don't address it very often as a as a whole, I guess. Right, Um, and so that's something we definitely need to like just introspectively look in on ourselves and say, how can we do this better?
0: Yeah, I I think that that all stems from a part of it is a is a is a lack of understanding of our own brokenness and sinfulness. You know, we I think that we Mm -hmm. like to play the game that we are sinless or that you know Mm -hmm. that we got everything under control. We like to put on the good the the good face. And I would say especially Mm -hmm. in an area where we are, uh, you know, we live in the suburbs and the suburbs are all about, um, you know, well-manicured lawns and uh, everyone's got the perfect Instagram photos and yada, yada, yada. And so we put on this facade consistently that that everything is good, but then we know we're not good. And then when we see everyone else's stuff, we're like, man, we, we need to make sure that we've got... Our, our stuff together, or at least we look like we got, got our stuff together because everyone else does. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is not, that is not the, the reality. Um, it's not what the church is supposed to be about. Um, the church ultimately needs to be a, a, a place for the broken, a place for the sinners mm-hmm. to come in, to be welcomed, um, to receive uh, grace and healing for the things that they're going through, um, you know, when you think about what Jesus did, just over and over again, you know, Jesus regularly sat down and ate with sinners, made his his friends the sinners, the outcasts, the people who were rejected, the people who felt like they that they didn't belong in society, and as he did that, um, he was rejected, right? But, but that's but at the end of the day that's all of us like we're all in that boat we're we we all at, to some level feel like we're the outcast we're the one that no one understands no one mm-hmm. understands us we're the one that that um has been broken and then sin itself is pervasive in our life and so if we can just come to terms with that you know like we talk about identity Okay. Yes, we like our primary identity is that we we have been redeemed in Christ. But why? Because our identity is that we are marred by sin, you know. And if we can just come to terms with that, um, that would go a long way for our relationships within the church and outside of the church.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. That's good.
1: I was thankful that Scott made mention of um, how to walk with teenagers. So I'm just going to put the youth pastor hat on here for a moment. There you go. Um, yeah. and, and it's he a nice made, looking hat by the way. Well, he made reference to, um, this, the amount of teenagers that are dealing with gender dysphoria. Mm-hmm. And I thought he did a good job mm-hmm. explaining what that is, um, and how those numbers are, are on the rise and, and what to do with that. Um, and I think there's, there's the message of culture is that if you feel a certain way, therefore you are that way. Mm-hmm. And so our teenagers are being bombarded with that, mm-hmm. and if, and if our message to them is um, "Hey, don't feel that way," simply put, uh, they're going to look at the world 's option and go, "Well, I do feel this way, so I must be you know whatever whatever i'm going through." Yeah. The reality is that like um, a lot of teenagers deal with gender dysphoria. Oh yeah, um, I think for those of us as we get older, it's hard for us to admit the really weird moments in puberty. Um, it's hard for us <laughs> to 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 remember because one, our brain's doing wild things, so it's literally hard for your brain to remember. Yeah, but um, we grossly downplay our weirdness in that season of life and all the crazy things going on with our brains, (laughs) our bodies, our thoughts, our feelings, our experiences. And, um, I think it would do us good to accept that your teenager, um, is just probably having some really weird thoughts in general about their sexuality, no matter how they identify Mm themselves. And (laughs) if you've not created a space to navigate those things with them, mm-hmm. um, they're going to navigate those things with someone else. Yep. Yep. Um, so as Scott said, you know, the rise in cases of g- gender dysphoria are up. Um, I don't think it's as if, um, puberty has changed. Now we could get in a whole conversation about hormones and food and all that jazz, but that's a whole other th- yeah. yeah. debate. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, puberty is the same our students are just being given a different option to navigate it by the world. Mm -hmm. And often their parents are becoming more closed off to those conversations. Uh, They find out their son or daughter's dealing with something that's weird to them. And they're just like, I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about it. Like you don't, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think it's just important. um, Yeah, it, it is. It's important for us to know that like, the best thing you can do is to create a space of healthy dialogue with them. Right. Listen to them, Mm -hmm. um, understand what they're feeling, what they're expressing, what they're going through as they're trying to determine who they are in this world, right. Apart from their sexuality. Yep. Um, and navigate them back to scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, point them to a biblical worldview. Um, I like to give the imagery of you're putting your goggles on. You're seeing things through the lens of scripture. You're not seeing things purely through the lens of your experience and how you're fa- feeling or what the world's telling you. But that is a long road of discipleship with your children right. and navigating that with them. Don't leave them alone mm-hmm. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, don't, don't just look at them and say they're wrong.
0: Let me ask you guys this. When it comes to talking with your kids, how early – how early should, should parents begin to have age-appropriate conversations with kids about, about gender and sex?
1: I mean, I, I'll give you from the student pastor perspective. I'm not a parent of a kid who's older than 10 months, so mm-hmm. don't, don't hear me trying to say "This is how you parent." Yeah. Um, statistically speaking, they are exposed to sexual behaviors earlier than they've ever been. Um there are right. there are kids who are exposed to pornography at the age of 6. You know that that is that is happens that is known across our society. To bring up the hormone things and foods and all that and I don't know how much of that is Driven by food, but what I do know is that the average age of a female starting their period is early and earlier and earlier decade by decade. Mm-hmm. So thirty years ago, it would have been somewhere around like twelve to thirteen. Now the average age is around like ten, eleven. Mm-hmm. So it's it's becoming earlier and earlier. And so um, if you wait forever. Your kid probably already knows what's been going on, and they've heard it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. If you um,
0: and in some cases, if you wait till they're in high school, in, in a lot of cases, it's it's a little bit too late in some yeah. ways. And that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. They know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I'll say this
1: too, um, dig
0: dig not, not to give no hope, but I'm but I'm yeah. just, like I said like you still have this <laughs> conversations. Yeah. Talk but to them now. Yeah. Well, whatever now is right. talk to them. But yeah.
1: the other, I want to say one more thing. I know, and I've been talking for a long time about this. I think if we're honest, why are we not having these conversations with our children? Okay, again, I'm not the parent. I would question that um, it's because many within the church are addicted to pornography. They do not have a se- healthy sex life themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not navigating healthy conversations within their marriage about these things. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe for some of them, infidelity even led to the end of their marriage. And so, our um, own
0: sexual broken. I-, I-, yeah. I-, I totally agree. Our own sexual brokenness is present and yes. then affects the way that we communicate it with others. Yeah, and
1: so sometimes you m- we might be avoiding these conversations because of our what we're dealing with. Right. Um, your sin, one, does not prohibit you from being able to have this conversation with your child. Correct. Two, um, there is a sensitivity that part of discipling someone is that they're looking to you. Mm-hmm. So what are they seeing you do? What are they seeing you watch? What are they seeing you interact with on these subjects? Mm-hmm. And in parenting them, Um, maybe it's the wake up call for yourself to get a healthy sexuality, (laughs) you know, like, man, you need to navigate this. Um, because one, it's what God calls you to primarily. Um, but yeah, I wonder sometimes why parents are not willing to have the conversation. I think we kind of too much, um, give the caveat that it's just weird or awkward or they already know. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if there's something deeper there. Mm-hmm. Um, often that yeah. prevents us from actually having
0: May it. not always be the case, but certainly that's something to I wonder. To. Yeah. That's the key word. Yeah. Wonder. Sure.
2: As a mom, I think um, each child is different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've definitely seen that like conversations with my boys, especially, are, are different um, based on who they are. I also think it's really good for us as um, parents. We get to be like this role of teacher within our home. And um, part of being a good teacher is just watching for life experiences. That come up that open the door for the conversation. Yeah. Um, I mean, that can be as small as like a TV show, um, seeing something in the culture, having it come up at school where they say, "Hey, I talked to so and so today, and you'll never believe what happened." Um, or you know, I just I, don't, I try to be like just lie and wait for some of those things to start coming up and as early as possible as it's age appropriate to start having those conversations, so it's not this weird. Um, thing that we just bring up at the end where they've already been exposed to it over and over Mm -hmm. um and like you said chris there's it's not that there's no hope once they're older it's just it, it really is freeing to talk about it when it's not so um i don't know my boys would call it creepy to talk about it when when they're younger it doesn't bother them as much when they're younger yeah um and you don't have to be explicit. You can still talk about things in an age-appropriate way, but Absolutely. um the earlier you start, the better the conversations go as you get older because you're referring back to what you already laid as a foundation.
0: Yeah. So much more we could say. There is so much more we could say oh, on yeah. this and and um I'm thankful I'm thankful that um that the Lord has been um at work in in Scott's life to be able to say like hey, we need to talk about these things. I I think that's a, that's a good thing. Um, uh, it's These are challenging things to talk about and to do so well. I mean, we, I feel like we just scratched the surface and maybe fumbled around a little bit. I know I fumbled around a little bit in this. So, uh, (laughs) but, but, uh, but, but just to do this well with, with people. Um, so listen, if, if you're out there and this is something that you are um, that you are wrestling with or you're wanting to figure out like how to talk with your kids about it or how to talk with friends and coworkers about um, this stuff um, or an approach to, to it all. Um, we want to help. Uh, we, we'd love to ch- chat with you about all this. And so you can reach out to us and, um, and uh, yeah, let us know how we can help and give you maybe just a couple thoughts on, uh, on, on how to approach the conversations that you want to have. So, well, hey guys, um, thanks again. Uh, thanks for the conversation today. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's great for the the three of us to be uh, back together, at least in this way <laughs> today. So uh, I'm excited about that. So next week, uh, I do want to let you know special episode next week? So be tuned in for that. We'll uh, talk with you all next time on the Sunday recap. Have a great week, everyone.